2: Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to Play the News by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hey guys, imagine what it would be like if you could no longer recognize the people you knew best. Alzheimer's is a form of dementia that causes cognitive ability and memory to deteriorate. This disease literally can turn loved ones into strangers. This happened in my family. I witnessed this myself with my grandfather. The impact of the disease is devastating, not only to those diagnosed, but also to their family and their friends. And that is one of the reasons why Canada Land is supporting an initiative from the Branch Out Neurological Foundation to raise awareness and fund research to get brains back to their best. Go to this URL that I'm about to give you. You can learn more about this. You can donate money. You can find out what they're up to. It is branchoutfoundation.com. So the most hated newspaper owner in Canada has just purchased 28 more newspapers. Mark Lever is the president and CEO of the Halifax Chronicle Herald, which has been on strike for more than 15 months. Despite major concessions from the Herald's union, no deal has been reached, which has led many people to believe that Mark Lever has been bargaining in bad faith and has no intention of ever reaching a deal. He just wants to bust the union. Of course, that's not what he's telling them, they say that he has pleaded poverty. The union says that Mark Lever told them that the Chronicle-Herald was on the brink of imminent demise if it didn't immediately cut wages and other benefits to newsroom staff. Which is why it came as such a shock the other week when the Herald went up and bought 28 newspapers and websites across Atlantic Canada from the distressed transcontinental chain. It all happened in a hurry. Ownership was transferred immediately, and they quickly announced... Canada's newest newspaper chain, Saltwire.
3: SALT. It's in our ocean waters and runs through our veins. Wire. It's a connector and a bridge. It can be both flexible and strong, rigid and pliable. Introducing the Salt Wire Network, the largest independently owned media company in Canada and home to Atlantic Canada's best storytellers, media industry experts, and printing specialists. Our network of media outlets stretches from Cornerbrook to Yarmouth, Cape Breton to Summerside, Halifax to St. John's. The Saltwire Network. Be essential.
0: Guys, who buys a newspaper chain in 2017? The deal included four printing presses. The other big chains in Canada, Torstar and Postmedia, their stocks are in free fall. Postmedia is hurtling towards bankruptcy. I do not get it. We have asked Mark Lever twice to come discuss this strange move. I would really have liked to have talked to him directly. We did not get a reply, but we did put a couple of people in a studio at the University of King's College Journalism School in Halifax, and they both have some things to say about this. As you'll hear in a minute, my guests today don't agree on everything, but they are civil and understated in elucidating their differences. Just kidding. These guys are Haligonians and journalists, so things will get ludicrously heated very quickly. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Christina Miguel, Cheryl Tucker, Dave Taves, Peter Cornell, Tara Johns, Mitchell, Andrew Carvalho, and Corin. Corin, why did you decide to be awesome? because I've never heard a male broadcast journalist admit when he's wrong and I'm willing to pay for that this show is sponsored by better help therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and better help is available here in Canada a lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help and one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time I would like to mount a different uh, argument here which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get ten percent off of your first month at betterhelp.com/slash Canadaland. Once again, it's better dot com. along with 5 free travel packs. You'll get a free 1-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com/canadaland. That is drinkag1.com/canadaland. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Frank and Oak. Frank and Oak has a new thing called Style Plan. I think that they have solved the subscription clothing thing. I like the subscription clothing thing where they send you clothes every month where you don't have to go into a store, nor do you have to actually go through a very long process of a huge catalog. What do I want online? But a lot of these subscription services, the clothes keep coming and it's on you to send back the stuff you don't want. Frank and Oak Style Plan achieves that part where they remove the guesswork out of you and the hunting for the right clothes. They suggest to you a whole bunch of stuff that's personalized for you, but you still get to pick out of that which things you want each month. Also, because you're signed up for this every month, you get 25% off always. And listeners of this podcast get 30 bucks off of their first month with Style Plan. Automate your style. This is the easiest and smartest way to shop for new clothing. Go to frankandoak.com slash invite slash CanadaLand. One more time, for men and for women, 30 bucks off your first month if you go to frankandoak.com slash invite slash This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. I read this tweet from somebody yesterday who was saying, I will die in front of Google spreadsheets before I pay for invoicing software. And I think a lot of people feel this way. It's like, why would I pay for that? I can do that myself. I can do that in Microsoft Word. I can do that in a Google spreadsheet. And yeah, you can, but like, You can also make your own yogurt. You can make your own clothing, but you don't because you care about how you look and because your time is worth something to you. Like, respect yourself, people. It takes time to make invoices. You are not able to make them look as good as FreshBooks look, and you do not have the functionality that their invoices have, where you can see when people read your invoices, where you can use the data from them to spit out reports for your accountant come tax time, or for your own tax returns, where you can chart who is paying you quickest, who's paying you slowest, where you can just go click, 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 take pictures of your receipts and convert that into an expense invoice in seconds. All of this stuff is worth the expense if you take yourself and your time and your business seriously. FreshBooks is the cloud accounting solution for small businesses and freelancers that can't afford accounting departments. It makes billing painless. It is simple and intuitive. You will wow your clients with how professional you look, your business looks, when they receive invoices from you via FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Try it for free. Tell them that CanadaLand sent you when you do decide to become a customer. Finally, people, I am sorry there is one last piece of business today before we get on with the show. It pertains to the book. If you are planning on coming to one of our live shows in Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver, or Victoria, those shows are about to sell out. So go to CanadaLandShow.com slash book tour now. I want people who listen to this podcast to have first dibs on this stuff. I want you to know that now is the time to buy a ticket if you plan on coming to those shows. Tickets are selling briskly for our Saskatoon, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal, Hamilton, London, and Kingston shows. You can get tickets for those as well at canadalandshow.com booktour. Lastly, the special deal I told you about on Amazon.ca. This is the final pre order sale for the book, for the Canada Land Guide to Canada, and it ends on Wednesday. I wanted you to know that on April 26th, that's your last day to get the book for $20.07 from Amazon.ca, and they'll throw in a $5 gift card. So that's like 15 bucks, which is the cheapest the book has been offered for so far, but that deal disappears on Wednesday on Amazon.ca.
1: My name is Parker Donham. I'm a more or less retired journalist, communications person, working still a little bit, and I, when I can summon the energy, I blog at contrarian.ca.
3: I'm Stephen Kimber. I am a sort of a semi-retired journalism professor at the University of King's College, and I do a column for Tim Bousquet's examiner here in Halifax and write for anybody else who pays money.
0: Thank you both for joining me today. So, guys, salt, wire. I I saw the video. My first response was mockery at the low production value. Our editor, Jonathan Goldsby, tweeted, this is uh, obviously Canada's answer to trunk. And I think that the news of this acquisition of all these newspapers was met with various strains of uh, ridicule and anger. It's easy to make fun of that video, and I think it's easy to raise an eyebrow at the idea of buying up a newspaper chain in 2017. Parker, you had a different response to this. Can you briefly tell us why you think that this might not be
1: such a bad idea or such a bad thing? Well, I'm not going to defend the video, but I think you've accurately described the reaction within the left-wing echo chamber in Halifax, but I think the broader community reaction was um, certainly surprise, and hmm, that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. I would regard it as a long shot. I think anyone investing in newspapers right now is taking, I call it a ballsy move, but I think it's likely to be a considerable improvement over Transcontinental, which has done an absolutely horrendous job of running those newspapers and has gone pretty much criticism-free in the left-wing blogosphere because they're not involved in a strike against uh, a union that's at the Chronicle Herald in Halifax. I think it can succeed. The newspaper industry is devastated right now. You've done a program about how all of the... um, Can West properties are teetering on the brink of collapse, and there could be hundreds of journalists out of work as a result of that. Everyone knows it's transforming somehow to digital, but how long that horizon is going to be, what will remain of print is anyone's guess. We thought books were going to disappear, but it turns out they're not disappearing. They're still a good, healthy part of the market. So there's a big, big adjustment. And I think the one thing the Chronicle Herald might do is allow these newspapers to remain local, which was one of the biggest mistakes that Transcon made, was to think that they could brand them with – you know, two weeks ago, if you called the Charlottetown Guardian, they answered the phone, TC Media – That's just insane if you're running a newspaper. You need them to retain their mastheads, to retain their local identity, and hopefully have some kind of a community leader who's the publisher or the editor who's an important figure in the town, and then hire young people and try to make it work. Stephen,
0: for somebody with the resources of the owners of the Chronicle Herald to put the kind of bet that they've placed on keeping newspapers alive, keeping newspapers local, that in and of itself feels like uh, I can understand why that would be encouraging to some people. What is your take on this and why are you so skeptical? Well, speaking from the left-wing echo chamber here in Halifax,
3: I, I mean, I think... One of
1: its ablest members. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you, sir. the The issue for me is really who's doing this rather than what they're actually doing. I have no... Great faith in uh, Mark Lever, who is the publisher of the Chronicle Herald and now of Saltwire. You know, he he does not have a, a good track record in terms of his own business experience. Tell me a bit about Mark Lever. Mark Lever uh, was a tennis coach, and he ran a tennis uh, company, and he ran another company. I think they, they they both went bankrupt. He married Sarah Dennis, who is the daughter of the late publisher of the Chronicle Herald. He very quickly moved into a decision-making space at the Herald and became publisher and CEO. He Forced out, I think, and I, I, it, it's not clear, and he would tell you differently, but I think he, he pushed out Ian Thompson, who was the associate publisher and another relative uh, in the Dennis family, but somebody who did have long experience both in journalism and politics and, and all of those sorts of things. And the fact that, that the Herald has gone through a horrible strike for 15, now almost 16 months, you know, is, is, is clearly a serious issue. I think that there is a tendency... By my friends in the right-wing blogosphere here, I don't. That's not even fair. But uh, <laughs> but, but my friend Parker to suggest that whatever this Parker is, is all yeah, the unions' fault. And 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 what I would say is, if you look at the union that's involved here, they have negotiated contracts at big and small newspapers, independent newspapers, newspaper chains across the country without a strike, including the Cape Breton Post uh, and other other newspapers. The fact that this strike ha- happened and has gone on is not a sign of good management. It's a sign of bad management. And so now what you've got is the Herald, which doesn't. If if you believe it, in, on the one hand, it's not a profitable business. That's what that's that was its claim to the union. And one of the things that they claimed was they were saddled with an eighteen million dollar loan to buy a printing press that they should never have bought. We all agree on that part, and that ha- that predated Mark Lever, but. Having done that and having and being in that position, now suddenly we're tripling, quadrupling whatever it is down to borrow money, from again, from a private lender. And, and this is, I think, part of what's problematic in the newspaper industry generally and goes back as a kind of a tradition, right? We have Post Media, Can West, Southam. Each one borrowed money to buy the other and to keep moving forward adding more and more debt and creating an unsustainable position even for newspapers that were relatively profitable at the time. And then along came the internet and sideswiped them all and and all of the rest of that. But the fact is that that kind of merger and acquisition has not traditionally been good for newspapers. So do I think that Mark Lever is the person to – counter all of that and 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 to make it work no i don't and i and what i'm afraid of if not him who i'm not sure that you know let's go back to what you started with which was the 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 local ownership when it comes to these community newspapers once that left a lot of things went missing and i you know I, i would say we're jumping ahead here but my sense is that much as i hate to say it i think the best thing that will happen to journalism in Nova Scotia is for the Herald to eventually wither and disappear because it blocks the space for alternatives. And I think the alternatives, you know, know, we look at the Halifax Examiner, we look at the Cape Breton Spectator, those kinds of publications are too small to to be significant in terms of the Herald. But at some point, what you probably get is, is some amalgamation and coordination of those and that that will create uh, something that may be successful. I mean, they, they won't have uh, the bricks and mortar issues to deal with the, the transportation. I you know, I, I have said this before, but I remember a conversation with some editors of a newspaper that where we both worked uh, shortly after the internet came along and and we were drinking and having a great time, and we were saying, we have found the answer, and the answer is is online. Because suddenly you take the the expenses, the the eighty uh, percent printing and distribution, and the twenty percent editorial, and the revenue model, which was subscription twenty percent and advertising eighty percent, and and you eliminate those other things, then suddenly you can have a newspaper that makes sense from a subscriber point of view. And then, then two weeks later, or three weeks later, or a month later, or whatever it was, everybody started offering the news for free, and we've been in a downhill spiral ever since. But I still think we are. Are going online in the same way that you talked about books coming back what will happen over time is that more and more people will read online that will make the printing and production and distribution of books printed books more expensive just as it will with newspapers so you know they may survive in some form or another but let's not think in two years or three year uh, windows here let's think in 20
1: or 30 year windows
3: we're gonna be looking at a very different world
1: The uh, paper that he's talking about is the Halifax Daily News, where we both worked. It was the first online newspaper in Canada, Mm -hmm. and it was a wonderful, feisty newspaper. It had a staff about a third the size of the Chronicle Heralds, a newsroom about a third the size. They were pay- paid about a third less, and day after day after day, they would kick the Herald's ass around the block during the Buchanan administration, mm-hmm. and they made the Herald a much better paper. The, the brief period yep. when the Herald was a good paper was when it was competing with the Halifax Daily News. Transcontinental, whom everyone is lamenting leaving the region, shut down the Halifax Daily News and laid off dozens of journalists. They had... Have in the last eight months shut down four weekly newspapers in Nova Scotia. By contrast, the Herald has purchased the Antigonish casket, a weekly paper that had been run forever by the Diocese of Antigonish, the Catholic Archdiocese. And um, I asked a bunch of people in Antigonish, what do you think? And they say, well, we think they've improved it. They've made it a better weekly paper. Now, that wasn't high bar. <laughs> and none of these papers, for most of these papers, it's not a high bar. I worked at the Cape Breton Post for four years in the 1970s. It was a terrible newspaper. It is a terrible newspaper now. It has been a terrible newspaper throughout that period.
0: Isn't that the trouble with this whole conversation is that as outrageous people are at the 15 uh, month and counting uh, strike of the Chronicle Herald and management's behavior there, not many people can get all that wistful about what the Chronicle Herald was prior to that. As much as the sale of transcontinental papers to Lever can appall people who are appalled by the strike, no one felt all that strongly about the transcon papers prior to that. So the idea of of finding some way to consolidate and save Parker, the ecosystem that currently exists, when you're the foremost of the critics that the, these papers aren't much anyhow – isn't that consistent with with what Stephen's saying? That like kind of better to just let the old wood die off and see if something better can be built.
1: Well, let's talk about this strike because the left wing commentariat uh, we're, we're, kind we're, of we're, frames blogosphere it. Blogosphere <laughs> yeah,
0: the blogosphere commentariat echo chamber
1: frames Bam. it as a um, as a 1930s coal mine strike with the noble workers going up against the. Spawn of Satan owner. And Mark Lever personifies the Spawn of Satan in this mythology. The Mercedes um, driving
3: Spawn yeah, of Satan.
1: Yeah. So it's true that the paper bought a new printing press in 19, in 2003, and that was probably a poor decision. But based on the evidence of the time, it wasn't a poor decision. Oh, yes, it was. It was. Kijiji didn't exist in 2003. Facebook didn't exist in 2003. When Kijiji hit in the space of a few months, the Chronicle Herald lost $12 million a year of revenue. Mm -hmm. Now, they had a 65-person newsroom with a top salary of $80,000. $12 million a year is three of those newsrooms. So, you cannot expect to continue to operate a paper with a gold-plated contract far better than the contracts that you described at the Cape Breton Post and in the St. John's paper. Or the the other unions, uh, other newspapers that are unionized across the country what? all of which are failing now so you have a union that relentlessly protects the least productive workers the most expensive workers it is natural for an owner struggling with this oh my with this God, steamroller Parker. Do you think I'm wrong about that? Do you think the Halifax Typographical Union isn't protecting the most expensive, least productive workers? You've been in newsrooms. You know what this is I like. Know that and if were, you pretend were... otherwise, you are just pretending and pandering to your left-wing blogosphere audience.
0: Gentlemen. Yes, don't forget the uh, echo chamber and what was the other? Commentary. Uh,
3: Thank you. <laughs> I like to belong to as many organizations as possible.
0: Yes. Okay, Stephen. To put it a little bit less emphatically, is is there not something to that? Look, it's hard for management to ever look good in a strike situation. And I think that management has been lying. The idea that they are in good faith and have been trying to settle this strike, crying poverty and then buying this huge newspaper chain. Oh,
1: oh, oh, stop there. Right.
0: Parker, we can come back to that. We can come back to that, Parker. That has been the chief complaint. And I think that uh, it's, it's very clear as an outside onlooker that they have not been looking to... Come to any kind of conclusion that this is an attempt to break the union. That's how it looks to me. But Stephen, don't these unions need to be broken? Isn't it something that that was built for the newspaper industry of like the 80s or the 90s that is just simply... And you say, well, there's unions across the country. Does that model work anymore? You know, if you're trying to remove, how do we turn this around? We get rid of all of the fixed costs of printing and distribution. We consolidate and we put our emphasis on on the newsroom and on editorial. We take our hits with advertising and try to rebuild a subscription-based business. Can we do all of that? And this is a big if. If that could work, can that work with newspaper unions as they currently exist? I don't doubt that
3: they will have to adapt as well. I mean, it is a different world. But having said that, giving all of the power to one side in any relationship is a dangerous thing. I mean, all we have to do is look at general inequality in this country and in this world and see how power doesn't treat the world well. Power treats itself well. And I think, you know, we we see that here. The Herald did not hire a negotiator who, on his own legal website, claims that he's helped uh, companies run union-free for more than 20 years. Because they wanted to strike a deal with the union, and everything that they have done since then has demonstrated that they do not want to run a do not want to make a deal i don 't disagree with parker 's argument that that is a different thing than buying the newspapers because as, as Parker I think has pointed out you can 't go to the bank and say, "I want to pay more money to my workers give me give me a loan you certainly can when you have assets that can be stripped and that 's really what to me. You know, that's the other side of this is is buying all these these. Well,
1: you have builders. collateral for the loan. You have no, collateral
3: for the loan. Same that, as you
1: do when you buy a car. Yeah, a- think
3: about post media. You know, it, what you end <clears throat> up with is that the people who benefit from these deals are the bankers and the lenders, that's right? Surely
1: the risk. And, that's surely well, the it's risk.
3: it's more than a risk. I mean, I think, you know, I think most people who would look at. The Herald Deal would see that as the ultimate outcome, two
1: years, five years, ten years from now. Some of the collective agreements in the rest of the chain are either expired or close to expiring. Let's see what happens there. Let's see what happens. I don't disagree that I think they're trying to bust the union here, and I think, in fact, they've succeeded. And I think part of the way they've succeeded is that the left-wing commentariat commentariat has uh, (laughs) led the workers down the garden path by portraying them them as history. Stop stop for a second. You can't claim that you were you I've listened to you do it for for
3: 450 you, you, days you are making me influential in this do you really think that I have influence over people making a decision to walk out of their jobs walk out on strike to not go back I don't think so.
1: I think there has been, in the left-wing blogosphere, a continual lionization of the uh, striking workers, demonization of the management, and um, a, a general encouragement to believe that, you know, they say in Harlan County, there are no neutrals there. Either you're a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. It's it's 1930s. Encouraging them to picket. You know, they have a wonderful alternative. I didn't alternative. encourage anybody. Uh, Tim Busquet certainly did. Good for him. Uh, They're picketing in a place where maybe 2% of the cars in Metro drive by. It's a tremendous effort. And it's for what? When they could be working that website that they've created, which they took forever to get up and running, which they then refused to take – they refused to take advertising. Then they went out and picketed their advertisers. Because –
3: because – Their view was that this strike was hopefully going to be short-lived, that they would be able to negotiate a contract. If they thought that from the beginning they wouldn't be able to negotiate a contract, I think they probably would have moved faster with their website. But the reality is that they were bargaining in good
0: faith. Are you guys – I I just went and got a sandwich. Are we we done with this one? (laughs) All right. Parker, aren't you full of shit too though because you're sort of building this argument – that, you know, good on them. Who knows if it'll work out, but God bless them for trying. And if not lever than who, and it's a ballsy move and they're investing in small communities. Isn't Stephen right that- Which wha- of those statements do you take issue with? I take issue with the idea that there's a a chance in hell of this. And this isn't, you know, isn't this exactly what it appears to be? And Stephen makes the point that we've seen this all play out before with post media. You can't go to a bank and get a loan to buy a newspaper chain in 2017. So you go to basically loan sharks who look at the assets, they look at the collateral, and they say, you know what, print is sunsetting rapidly, but they got buildings and they got printing presses and they still got revenue coming in from these aging populations who basically use the newspaper as a flyer delivery service. So there's still money coming in to keep the lights on. And while that's happening, we can just bleed it dry, lay off people in constant waves of layoffs. They've shown with the Chronicle Herald that they can strip the product to the bone and the reader won't even necessarily notice because the product wasn't all that much beforehand. And meanwhile, this benefits the the lenders and to the absolute detriment of these communities, because if these papers were simply allowed to fail on their own merits or turn it around miraculously, then either way, you'd either create a vacuum that somebody new could step into in good faith to do journalism... Or you have local papers, hopefully locally owned, saying, okay, maybe you know the employees are going to take over the shop and we're going to actually make this paper mean something and succeed. Isn't this the worst possible
1: thing for the communities to have these papers serving debtors as opposed to communities? So uh, I, I agree that that's the risk and it's certainly the risk that uh, post media has fallen into. And um, we don't know the details of the financial arrangements. Uh, we don't know the sale price. I expect the sale price was astonishingly low. Um, and Steve's nodding. I think we're all in agreement about that. They could do a faceplant. I fully acknowledge that. One of the kind of casual ways that the left-wing commentary disparages this operation is to today, oh, they're just rappers for flyers. Well, guess what? for low-income newspaper readers, flyers are important. People with little money pour over those flyers to see where can I get potatoes cheapest today and where can I get hamburger cheaper than than here and there and the otherwise. And that's okay. And if way... they have a residence, most of them can get those flyers in little plastic wraps with it, the newspaper to go with them. In defense of flyer distribution? That's what we're hearing now? You know, newspapers have always been supported mm-hmm. by advertising or wrapping a newspaper around a flyer is just another way to do that. Now we have a couple of models of that we have these little bullshit fake papers that Mm -hmm. you know that are doing it right now but I think in some of these uh, weekly areas I I, I don't see a problem with getting flyers with my newspaper I sometimes look at them and I sometimes make buying decisions based on them so there's that there's also the this strike Whatever else it's been, it's been a bonanza for Tim Bousquet and the Halifax Examiner because there's been a vacuum of the kind of news that he produces, and so more people turn to him, more people get used to reading him, more people buy subscriptions from him, and more power to him. I buy a subscription from him. I enjoy it a lot. you know, even even, have even, to when, even <laughs> when I hate it, much like, much like Canada land, I, sub- I subscribe to Canada land for exactly the same reason. We're a little bit older demographic here, so there may be a longer horizon for print newspapers here. A lot of it is habit. A lot of the predictor of who reads newspapers is age. It's going to be a challenge. There's also a range, you know, if you're a big huge world-class newspaper like the like the new york times or the washington post you may have a business model if you're the inverness oran or the eastern graphic there may be a business model because the only place you find out news from judic or shetty camp or or glenda glencoe mills is in the inverness oran a great little newspaper and similarly in eastern pei the regional, medium-sized newspapers have the hardest tasks, right. the, the St. John's Telegram, the Halifax Chronicle Herald, and so forth. That's the toughest nut to crack. And I don't think – I mean, their readership is in decline, but there's no sign that it's taken an enormous hit because of the strike, as you well, said. Well, wait a minute. Now, th- th- there's, there's no sign because they don't report – their
3: numbers. That's, that's one thing. Second thing is that when he made the announcement, Mark Lever said, and I take this to be wildly modest, but he attributed more than 1,000 subscription losses to the
1: strike itself. Right. I, I think and, that's and, about right. Maybe 2,000. W- well,
3: well uh, maybe more. Who
1: knows? I mean, Who we knows? don't know. Yeah, we don't know.
3: The Herald itself is, you know, and- And, and, and they're a saving
1: a fortune. They are saving a fortune. I mean, they're running it on fumes so i mean there's no question that i mean he doesn't want to settle the strike but neither do the strikers this is something the left-wing commentariat has refused to report is that over half the people who remain on strike because they haven't found other work have already received layoff notices they know they're never going back how did you know that did somebody in the left-wing commentariat report that my
0: god my who
3: who was it
0: let me find out i have to stop this person who wants to strike? Who wants to walk a picket line in Halifax in the winter for six hundred dollars a week? Is that what you're saying, Parker? That's
1: exactly what I'm saying. Because they, I don't they know, man. these are people these are people who have not been able to find other work and won't be able to find other work. And this is why within the strikers there are still plenty who look askance at those who work on the. There's a big divide between whether people work on the um, the local the express local express or not. That's a crazy thing to say, though, that they would that they want that, that they would
0: rather be doing that than doing their jobs. And, and No, no, well,
1: they'd rather be doing their jobs, but they know they're never getting their job back, and they don't see much prospect of finding another job. So $650 a week may not sound much to you, but it's better than nothing.
0: Oh, so let's just make a distinction between things
1: that people have to do and things that they want to do. Well, but you're saying, I mean, of course they would rather be at work, but they're not going to be at work, and they know that. And that, that's part of the reason why the strike has dragged on. Stephen, I understand why the
0: lenders are backing Lever's play here. I don't know what Mark Lever is thinking. Does anyone have any insight into this? Like, Is this just sort of like a vanity ego play, like uh, to be Citizen Kane and, and, and you know, one century too late to, to be a newspaper magnate? I don't know Mark Lever, and, uh, so I, I can't talk uh, directly about him. I have talked
3: to, to a bunch of people who, who do know him. And who suggests that he sort of sees himself as daring uh, and certainly innovative? That's one of his
1: his big uh, lines:
3: is that he's
0: innovative. He says they're going to take on Facebook and Google with their print newspaper chain.
1: Well, well, because to make it survive, you'd have to be innovative. You have to do uh, new, interesting things, and and to to be clear, huge challenge.
3: One of the things he said, and I think it was last fall, was that look for in two thousand and seventeen. The Herald to make a pivot and to change its its approach and its business, and this may be it. But it, you know, in fact, if, again, if you believe Transcon, it's only been a couple of months uh, since the Herald approached Transcon about buying these properties. So, you know, we don't know. I, I think that Mark Lever is a, a believer in himself and his own abilities. He is willing to go against the norm, uh, go against the the conventional wisdom of the left-wing commentariat and the right-wing commentariat, for that matter, and and do what he's done. Uh, And again, you know, one of the things that, you know, Parker and I will probably disagree on a few things, and this may be one of them, but my sense is that under different hands, this would be a very bold and potentially successful approach, that you create a regional news model that can take on the CBC, which can't get into all of these communities. The CBC website now is is the source of news for a lot of people. You, you mentioned Absolutely. The, you mentioned the Halifax Examiner. Even in Sydney,
1: where there is a yeah. daily paper, you turn first to, a- to a- the and, local and station there.
3: that's one of the things that the Herald did in this strike for a lot of people, including me. I mean, I, you know, I grew up with the Herald. I may not have liked it, but I grew up with it. And even when it went online, it was still my first place to go to look for news. I stopped doing that after the strike started. But in that process, I discovered, and I think partly because the CBC uh, made its decision to go digital first a number of years ago, that they are really well positioned to provide that alternative. And this is a a risk. Mark Lever was one of many publishers who who talked to the federal government about this. And And I think with some, not necessarily justification, but I understand the rationale, I understand the argument. You know, it's very hard for independent or even chain newspapers to compete with a, a CBC that doesn't require advertising to to succeed, and that does such a good job with its website. So I mean I understand that, but I you know to go back, I think that it's possible with the right leadership, this bold, daring, ballsy move could pay off. I just don't see it labor. happening here
1: the the whole topic of the cbc and its website is a fascinating one and a, and a different one and i agree it's a it's a big threat to them uh, the cbc has in terms of canadian internet is like the Near. monster gorilla yeah. i mean they have they very quietly with very little resources somehow became what you and I and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, Bill Turpin and Doug McKay dreamed of being mm-hmm. when we were when we were the first online newspaper in Canada mm-hmm. um, they recognize that potential and they've done an awesome job with it and uh, they're going to be very very big competition for anyone going forward and that's why uh, you know you had all these publishers going up begging for mm-hmm. subsidies and I couldn't agree with you more uh, uh, Jesse that that would be a horrible idea but part of the proposal part of it is to give subsidies which I don't think is going to happen But part of it is also
0: to remove advertising from the CBC's website and also to make CBC's website news content freely available to other news organizations. So it doesn't necessarily need to be in these communities as a point of competition.
1: I agree. I think another thing that will need to succeed – obviously, they're going to be looking for economies of scale. But I think they need to be very judicious about – uh, shared content. There's some shared content that can work, and there's some shared contents that's the kiss of death. There's no reason that the Cape Breton Post can't use reports from a good Saltwire bureau at Province House. You know, you could have maybe even two or. Dare I say, three reporters covering the provincial government? You know, that would be awesome, and it would benefit the Truro Daily News, the New Glasgow News, mm-hmm. uh, all of those papers, and even some weekly papers, oh, yes, you know. Um, so there's some stuff that you can do with shared comment that's useful content, but don't be. I no, think it, people smell it, canned content just the same way they smell canned talk from politicians. You don't want to
0: open up the paper and see like 10% regional stories and everything else is wire copy. Exactly. Right. No, agreed. Totally agreed. Well, look, we, we, we've reached consensus, so we should probably just stop now. I'm, I'm sure neither of you will fight about anything again on your way out of the studio. What do I have to do to get uh, Blue Nosers to actually, you know, have a spirited conversation and open up a little
1: bit? I don't know. It's <laughs> tough. We're a shy bunch.
0: Thank you both very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: Uh, Take you're, care. You're welcome.
0: That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me at jesse at Show.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com/CanadaLand. This week on the Canada Land Network, actually the Imposter is off because producer Kevin Sexton just had a baby. Congratulations, Kevin and Jess! But there will be a best of the Imposter if you haven't listened to the show in a while. A very excellent episode will be going up on Wednesday, and I'll be back on Thursday with shortcuts. This show is produced by Russell Gregg and Ali Graham. Special thanks this week to Mark Pinio for handling the recording in Halifax. If you like what we do, please support us.